Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to History Dweeks. I am Tim. And the topic that we're going to talk about today is Leopold and Loeb, of course, the famous um, teenagers who um, committed what was called the crime of the century back in the 1920s. Um, But before we get into that story, uh, we've been on a little hiatus uh, because apparently some members of our team um, did not make this job a priority. But having said that, we're back now. And um, let me introduce to you the rest of the team. Uh, we have, of course, the very young and talented uh, young Brittany with us today. How are you, Brittany? I'm dandy. How are you? Good. How have you been spending your time off? Being young and wild and free. Oh, that's that's actually a triumph song there. Yes, I, I am aware. You're well, aware of that? Because that's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I know that one. Where? Well, we're glad you're here. Thanks. And then, of course, that we have Brandy, who What's has been on vacation, it seems like decades. I don't know if she was on paternity leave or marijuana leave or whatever, but the rumor was, that, of course, that you were at home smoking weed playing video games. Do you have any comment on that? Staycation. Brandy? I have no comment except to say namaste, my people. Well, we're glad that you finally decided to show up to work. And, of course, we're also joined by the very honorable, distinguished, well-mannered... Yeah. Well-mannered. Colonel Charles Beauregard Hawk Walters III, affectionately known as the... Douchebag McGee. (laughs) Affectionately known as the Southern Gentleman. Or nah. How are you, Colonel? To me, I could not be better. This has been a... uh, If if you are a... uh, Lover of civil rights, this has been a wonderful week in this country. People, poor people, got to keep their health care. Gay yes. people got to get to get to. Although you know, the gay people can get married now. That's like saying you know. Yeah, it's not really a win. There, it's not a win. Where you can go <laughs> play in the traffic, you can run on the expressway. You can. Oh, you know, you know, gay people can do now. They can swim with crocodiles. That's what it's like. Yeah. But. Well, I'm sure there there's probably some gay folks who want to get married, and congratulations to them. Yeah, I bet there's a lot of gay folk that don't want to get married, and then when the ruling came out, they were like, "Oh, Kennedy, you son of a bitch, you." Yeah. Now I've got to, I've got no excuse. Mm-hmm. They yeah. got commitment issues because gay people got commitment issues. Yeah. You know what, though, I do want to seriously want to um, say something about. We also had an officer that um, was killed in line of duty 
duty here recently. I couldn't help it. In Cincinnati. In Cincinnati. Um, and so our, you know, my heart breaks for his family. Um, it was very, it was a rough day for the city. Um, and, and it was just, it was a sad day, actually, all the way around. It was really, so we had, you know, the good and we had these great things happening. And then we had this, from all accounts, a really great guy and an exceptional officer um, that was shot and killed by a, a gentleman that ambushed him. Yeah. So, and his name was uh, Sonny Kim. Sonny Kim. Yeah. Sonny so. Kim. It was a. Uh, although, again, one. It was one, another one of those things that, for whatever kind of tragedy it was, when you saw the the route that they took from the visitation to the cemetery where they put him to rest, it was just packed. It was lined with people. Yes. That took a hour out of that day to stand on the side of the road. To pay their respects to this man, and that, that was a beautiful thing. It was beautiful. Yeah. So rest in peace, Officer Kim, and also congratulations to all of our gay and lesbian listeners. You know, that you have the same civil rights the rest of us have. And good luck with that. Um, but yeah. anyway, let's you go. ask for this. Just remember <laughs> that. For, and, and you know, and just I would like to know because you know I, I got a lot of Christian friends, Timmy. I got some. That's hard to believe. And uh, yeah, it is hard to believe, but I tolerate them. I'm a tolerant man. Um, it's not nice. I'm keeping track. Um, so far, there has been five uh, traditional marriages ruined by this gay marriage ruling. So, just so we're um, keeping track, there's a tally. You're keeping because, count for yeah, the, because the right. if you remember, Mike Huckabee and the rest of those knuckleheads said that it was going to ruin marriage for everybody, and there's been five that have been casualties of the gay marriage thing. Why five? Um, five five women that left their husbands for other women. Yeah, women are hot, man. I'd be that's that's going to be the problem. All women are going to find out that all the other women are hot, and then we're gone. We're out of business. But anyway, just kidding. We're just kidding. We're happy for the uh, Supreme Court ruling, and congratulations to all those who are now able to get married and um, follow their hearts. But now, let's talk about something a little bit um, more um, gruesome, and that is the um, murders of Leopold and Loeb. Um, for those who are not familiar with the story, on May 21st, 1924, two uh, wealthy and, by all accounts, brilliant young teenagers in Chicago attempted to commit what they thought would be the perfect crime. And they did it just for, basically, for the hell of it, for the thrill of it. Uh, it was Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb. They kidnapped a 14-year-old boy by the name of Bobby Franks. They beat him to death in a rented car and then they dumped his body. Um, this was referred to at the time as the crime of the century. Um, so I'm going to give you a little bit of background both on, on uh, Leopold and Loeb, and then, and then we're going to get into the murder itself. Uh, Leopold and Loeb, as I said, were they came from wealthy families in Chicago. They were both um, very intelligent. Nathan Leopold was born on November 19, 1904. Um, 
very wealthy family. He was a child prodigy, and he, he spoke his first words by the age of four months. He reportedly scored uh, uh, 210 on an IQ test, which, you know, that's kind of like in my range when you get up there. Sure. Yeah. So, but... Um, I'd call him dummy. <laughs> at the time of the murder... Uh, uh, he had already completed uh, an undergraduate degree at the University of Chicago uh, with um, honors. So um, he, he uh, planned to uh, then go on to study law at Harvard. Um, he reportedly had studied 15 languages and spoken uh, five of them fluently. And he actually achieved a measure of success, although he was just a teenager, um, as an ornithologist. Uh, apparently, he had made... That's a bird watcher, eh? Yeah, yep, yep. He had um, been quite the um, expert on um, ornithology and identified Curlin's Wobbler, who I, which I know you're very familiar with, Chuck. A lot of wobblers, yeah. Yeah, he was a dangerous songbird at the time not and had not been deserved in... Hmm? Not wobbling, <laughs> wobblers. I see some wobblers. You know, uh, I like a good wobbler. So, I mean, as at an early, early age, the, this, yeah. this kid had, you know, he was... Uh, <laughs> the young Brittany on a Friday night is a wobbler. <laughs> on a Tuesday afternoon. Tuesday afternoon, whatever. So anyway, uh, uh, Nathan Leopold was very accomplished for his young age. His friend, Richard Loeb, L-O-E-B, was born on June 5th, 1905, uh, also to a wealthy family in Chicago. Um, his dad was a wealthy attorney and a retired vice president of Sears and Roebuck. Um, his father was Jewish. His mother was Catholic. And like Leopold, um, Loeb was exceptionally intelligent. Um, he skipped ske- uh, several grades in school and became the youngest graduate of the University of Michigan at the age of 17, which uh, I know you're a big fan of the Wolverines there, aren't you there, Colonel? I am, and, and I will have you know to me that I skipped a grade in, in school. I was, I, was, I was moved from the third grade to the fourth grade. Wow. Uh, really? They, yeah, they, they considered me a prodigy. They, and and, and it, was, uh, it was kind of funny because I was at a very diverse school, and they, they moved four of us up. And there was a uh, me, uh, Karen Ruffin, if you're listening, hello, uh, Byron Hill, um, and Sheila, I cannot remember Sheila's name, but of the four of us, we had uh, me, the white guy, mm-hmm. Byron was the black guy, um, <laughs> Sheila reading Rainbow was Asian, and Karen was the African-American woman. And it's fascinating. It, well, here's the fascinating thing: is that, you know, the whole year we went through the fourth grade. Yeah. Two weeks before school was over, Timmy, mm-hmm. my principal walks out the door of his office, drops over dead what? in the damn hallway. Two weeks of school left. We get a new principal, and you know what the new principal said? Hold you yeah. back. No. She pulled us back into the third grade. Mm-hmm. I've never gotten over that. That's traumatizing. Your glasses are traumatizing me right now. Well, I mean, they they, they put me through the fourth grade. I had to get the fourth grade things. Then I graduated as a third grader. I've been a high school You graduated as a third grader? You passed the third grade. Well, I I could have failed it. 
Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm digressing here, ain't I? Yeah, yeah. When we have the podcast on you, then you can go, you can talk all you want. We you need know, a podcast on Chuck No, you know, uh-huh. you know what I would like to just point out, Timmy? Does some of my friends listen to this? They think you're kind of a hostile, cantankerous, <laughs> um, just they're, aggressive, irritable. They, they they think you get irritable too easy, Tim. So they're, they're observant. You get yeah. observant friends very well. They wouldn't think that if they knew you really well. I'm just saying. Really? They wouldn't think that you were un, un, um, unneeded no. um, hostility. Oh, okay. You, so you I think, understand your hostility. You think my... Persona is differently on the show. Than no, I think you're no. No, we, we think, need you to yeah, keep us on track. We all the time. I <laughs> think your hostility is warranted. <laughs> Thank you, Brandy, but somehow that's not confirming coming from you. <laughs> that's hurtful. <laughs> all right, look back to Leopold and Loeb. Um, so Loeb was, uh, uh, as with um, uh, Nathan Leopold, Loeb was uh, very intelligent and uh, with the colonel. Uh, very intelligent, and like the colonel, he, he was has been described as lazy, unmotivated, <laughs> and obsessed with crime. Awesome. Uh, so you do have a lot in common with we him. We do, but uh, I, I never killed no nobody that didn't have a cover. Right. Uh, but Loeb spent most of his time, instead of excelling, uh, instead of um, you know building upon his uh, success in academics, he spent most of his time reading detective novels, which I used to read because they would always have these hot-looking women. No, that's a detective. Detective magazines. Yeah, detective magazines. They had the women tied up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I never, I never. True confessions. You remember? True confessions. Yeah. I, I never watched. The, I mean, myself. No. Yeah. You know, it was hard to get porn. You don't even know, know what he's talking about. I used to get the Playboy for the articles. I remember the Terry Bradshaw interview. But go ahead. I'm yeah. digressing again. Okay, so Leopold and Loeb, they both uh, lived, they both grew up in the affluent, uh, the affluent neighborhood of Kenwood in Chicago, South Side. You know where that is, Chuck? Kenwood in the South Side? Yeah. You know, the colonel goes stop by Kenwood every once in a while because the South Side of Chicago mm-hmm. is the baddest part of town. It really is. And I've heard that. Yeah. I've heard that too. Mm-hmm. So the Loebs owned a summer estate in Michigan in addition to their mansion uh, in Kenwood, and they were two blocks from Leopold's home. So they lived in the same neighborhood, although they didn't really get, they didn't really hang out much until they met. Uh, when they were both attending the University of Chicago. So they didn't hang out much till they met? Yeah, they didn't hang out as kids, I mean. Uh, they, they knew each other, but they didn't hang out until they met again at the University of Chicago and discru- discovered that they had a mutual interest in crime. Uh, Leopold was uh, particularly fascinated with uh, Frederick Nietzsche and his concept of Superman transistent individuals, which basically means that some people are above the law because they're superior. Again, um, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with that one, Demi. Okay, I know you're a big uh, Nietzsche supporter. But anyway, um, so they both kind of bought into this concept that they were, because of their intellect, they were superior and that rules did not apply to them. So they started breaking rules. Um, so they thought they were superior. Um, so they started doing little crimes. Like they broke into a fraternity house at the university, they stole some pin knives, they stole a camera. It's sort of a typewriter that they will later use in this murder that we're going to talk about, kidnapping slash murder we're going to talk about. But they didn't get a lot of notice. Um, not, not too many people took notice of their crimes, and, and so they started doing more serious crimes, including arson, but still 
uh, problem seemed to be that no one was paying attention to them. So, disappointed with the absence of any media coverage for their crimes, they decided to kick it up a notch. They decided to plan and execute the perfect crime um, that would get the public's attention and um, confirm their self-proclaimed status as supermen and above the law. And so, Brandy is going to talk to us about that crime. So the two of these numbnuts settled on kidnapping and murder of a young boy as their perfect crime. And they spent seven months planning this thing out. Everything from the method of their of the abduction to the disposal of the body. Um, well, they ain't too damn smart. I plan that stuff out in like... I know. It takes you like ten minutes. Yeah. Before, yeah. There's an um, app for that, aren't there? It takes longer to dig the damn hole than to plan out the murder. So they decided that, you know, these geniuses decided that they were going to... Um, they were going to ask for a ransom. Um, That's money in exchange for the, giving a kid back. Bingo. B- yep. <laughs> <laughs> Bingo. So they're, they're, they're making this ransom man. They devised this intricate plan for collecting it. And it was, you know, these this huge series of law, of complex delivery instructions and, you know, how it's going to be communicated and, and you know, set up and whatever. It was just ridiculous. And they typed the final set of instructions involving the actual money drop um, in the form of a ransom note using the typewriter that they stole from the fraternity house. Uh, they also went and selected a chisel as their murder weapon, and they went out and bought it. And they searched around for a suitable victim, um, mostly on the grounds of the Harvard School for Boys in the Kenwood area, where Loeb had been educated. And they decided on poor little Bobby Franks. He was the 14-year-old son of a wealthy Chicago watch manufacturer. Um, he knew Bobby, uh, actually Jacob, or I'm sorry, Loeb knew Bobby well. Um, it was his second cousin. And he also lived across the street from him. They played tennis at the Loeb residence several times. So this was not a stranger to these guys. This was this was somebody that at least one of them knew. Um, they put their plan into motion on the afternoon of May 21st, 1924. He rented an automobile under the name of Morton D. Ballard, and they offered Franks a ride as he walked home from school. Uh, Initially, Franks refused since his destination was less than two blocks away, but Loeb... Thanks for the ride, guys. Yeah, I'm almost home. (laughs) It always happens close (laughs) to where you live. Yeah. Everything does. I know. Um, Loeb persuaded him to enter the car because he wanted to talk about a uh, tennis racket that he'd been using. That old, that old ploy. The old, let's talk about your tennis racket. Yeah, get in the car. Let's I guess they didn't have panel vans and puppies back then. They didn't have etchings. I guess. Brittany, if someone if a van, someone drives up in a van and asks you to get in a car with them to talk about a tennis racket, refuse. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the precise sequence of events that followed um, to this day remains in dispute, but most of the most opinions are that Leopold was behind the wheel of the car while Loeb sat in the back seat with the chisel. Loeb struck Frank sitting in front of him in the passenger seat several times in the head with the chisel then dragged him into the back seat and gagged him with a rag where he died. Which which boy did? Uh, this has, let's see, Loeb. Okay, okay. 
Um, I'm keeping that in mind for okay. when we talk about confession. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, because one says one thing, one did it, the other says the other did it. Mm-hmm. With the body on the floorboard out of view, they drove to their predetermined dumping spot near Wolf Lake in Hammond, Indiana. It's about 25 miles south of Chicago. I think they have a casino there now, don't they? Um, they got a gentleman's club. And <laughs> After nightfall, they removed uh, and discarded Frank's clothes. They concealed the body in a culvert along the Pennsylvania Railroad tracks north of the lake. Uh, to obscure the body's identification, they poured hydrochloric acid on his face and on a distinctive abdominal scar as well as his genitals. Ooh. They did that to conceal the fact that he was circumcised. Where do you get hydrochloric acid? Like, I, whatever. But, you know, even that's going too far. Even when the body, even when the person is dead, pouring acid on the genitals—that's a separate crime. They needed to hide that he was circumcised. I agree with the colonel. That's uh, that's cruel and unusual. That's cruel <coughs> and particularly unusual. Well. Yeah, it was. So by the time these two Nimrods returned to Chicago, um, word had already spread that Franks was missing. So Leopold called Frank's mother, identified himself as George Johnson, told her that Franks had been kidnapped, gave her instructions for delivering the ransom, or I'm sorry, told her instructions would be forthcoming. They mailed the type ransom note, burned their bloodstained clothing, and um, cleaned all the bloodstains out of the rented vehicle's upholstery the best they could. And then they went to play cards. See, that just does not sound like the perfect crime to me. No. I no. You put some plastic down. Yeah, something, something. You or burn the, the car. First of all, you rent the car, which is not bright. And then you kill a kid in the car. Burn the car. Yeah. I mean, granted, You can't is, burn a damn rental car. You know how much it costs? <laughs> yes, that's my concern. Less well, you factor that in for the ransom. Well, obviously. <laughs> Cost of doing business. How rookie. much was the ransom? Rookie, rookie. I don't know. I haven't got that far yet. Okay. We'll go over it. Cool. Okay. I believe it was like $10,000. Yeah. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. 
was, what I was asking for. Yeah, it wasn't that much. But I guess at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. It was a lot of time. But yeah. So they received the ransom note. The Franks family received the ransom note the following morning. Leopold called again, dictated the first set of ransom payment instructions. Um, the intricate plan, it stalled almost immediately when a family member forgot the address of the store <laughs> where he was supposed to receive the <laughs> next set of directions. You need to write shit down. You know I mean? <laughs> need to write this shit down. <laughs> and, and it was abandoned. It was abandoned entirely. Yeah, really. Um, this was before Google Maps. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. So, the, and, so the plan was ab- abandoned. Um, when word came that a man named Tony Minky had found the boy's body. Uh, their kidnapping ruse exposed, Leopold and Loeb destroyed the stolen typewriter and burned a robe used to move the body. Convinced they'd done everything they could to hide their tracks, they went about their lives. Uh, the Chicago police launched an investigation. Rewards were offered. Um, Loeb went about his daily routine, just doing his thing. Leopold just talked to everybody. Mm-hmm. He's offering theories, telling everybody his opinion. He's on Fox News. He's on Fox. Yeah, well, Fox at five. Fox mm-hmm. at five. They're fair, fair and balanced. He was. He was with Huckabee. <laughs> he was he claiming the games? Gays did it. Yeah, this dumbass yeah. even told a detective, "If I was to murder anybody, it would just, it would, it would be just a cocky little son of a bitch as Bobby Franks." Well, that will really throw them off your trail. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nothing says that. Like No red the guy flags little, there. Yeah. No. So the police had found a pair of eyeglasses near the body. Um, though, the, though common in prescription and frame, they were equipped with an unusual hinge mechanism purchased by only three customers in Chicago, and one was Nathan Leopold. Uh-oh. When questioned, oh. Leopold offered the possibility that his glasses might have dropped out of his pocket during a bird-watching trip. Uh, the destroyed typewriter, which evidently wasn't that destroyed, uh, was discovered soon thereafter. And the significance of that is typewriters have their own signature. Sure. But uh, this always You learned gives that on me, CSI, didn't you? Uh, I watched the CSI. I know you did. Sometimes they call me in as a technical <laughs> consultant. But it always but gets me that as... That never happens. How do you lose your... How do you lose your damn glasses? I don't know. I mean, how would you find your way back here? Blind some bitch? I don't know. Maybe I mean, he just needed them for reading. Maybe he needed two pairs of glasses. Maybe like you. Like you. Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For those of you who don't understand that, the colonel was wearing two pairs of glasses when we started this. Well, and and he didn't sure. even know. I just <laughs> wanted to make sure I was I was doubling up on my uh, reading here. I was trying to read fast. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Here's the thing I have concerns with. This is called the crime of the century, right? I thought I thought the abduction of Lindbergh baby was. That was a crime of the century. The OJ mm-hmm. thing was a crime of the century. The JFK assassination was a crime of the century. We continue to one-up ourselves. Yeah. It's, it's just, it just waters this whole thing down when you're so, using that term. The two men came in for formal questioning on May the 29th. They asserted that on the night of the murder, they picked up a couple of women. Edna, uh-huh. Edna and May in Chicago. Edna. Using Le- Edna's a whore. <laughs> using Leopold's car, then dropped him off sometime later near a golf course without learning their last names. Yeah. Just, eh, whatever. That, yeah, that's, 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 okay. that's legit. That, it, that could be legit. It they dropped be. him off at the fourth hole. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> you don't have to know their last name. Uh, their alibi was exposed as bullshit when Leopold's chauffeur told... Oh, my bad. <laughs> His chauffeur... <laughs> 
<laughs> well, then. The chauffeur wasn't in on it. Wasn't in on it, I guess. Yeah, no. Uh, told police that he was actually repairing Leopold's car that night, and the chauffeur's wife later confirmed that the car was parked in the garage on the night of the murder. Well, those poor girls, how did they get off the golf course? <laughs> I, you know, I the, the chauffeur yeah. outed them. Yeah, these fucking chauffeurs will you know, get you every time. You can never trust a chauffeur. You cannot. I, you know, well, I, I, I always heard something different. If you mm-hmm. pay them enough, chauffeurs see everything. No. You pay them enough, they keep their They're holes like closed. service, but you got to hire an immigrant. Because so they if don't they come forward, you? they get deported. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Look at you having everything worked out. Yeah. Now we're talking. So they are. So they got busted. They so got they're busted. idiots. And they're arrested. Yeah, the, the perfect plan did yeah. not really. Uh, uh, that's not the case. You said it took them seven months to plan it. Yeah. You would have thought they'd have it a little more together, especially for when they got caught, because they have conflicting stories. Well, they never thought they'd get caught, so why plan? Well, I mean, if it were the perfect plan, you would need to have it all the way to the end to see, you know. Go out like Thelma and Louise. Yeah, I mean. It did not take my wife seven months to have two babies. What? I don't. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> Brittany, thank you. Should, you. You should stick to bird watching. No, the twins was born in less than seven months. Well, it took them seven months to hatch a plan. I had two babies in seven. You months. hatched two babies. I That's had two babies. That's a lot of babies. Okay, so um, Loeb confessed first, and he confirmed that uh, Leopold had planned everything and had killed or had planned to kill Frank's in the back seat of the car while he Snitch. was driving. Snitches get britches. Mm -hmm. And then um, Leopold's confession followed quickly after that, but he insisted that he was the driver and Loeb was the murderer. Now I'm confused. So if this were the perfect plan, they would have known what to say, I think. Well, they did. They can't, you know, they're just blaming the other one and they're hoping the police can't prove it either way. Yeah, but either way. Chauffeur's not involved. Chauffeur already busted him. Yeah, chauffeur wasn't involved. Just Leopold and Loeb. Okay. Now, um, there was a testimony from an eyewitness. Had it been, the chauffeur had been involved, it would be Leopold, Loeb, and chauffeur. It would have been. The eyewitness, Carl, um, said that Loeb was driving and Leopold was in the back seat, um, suggesting that Leopold was the killer. However, both admitted that they were driven by the thrill of kill um, and that they both wanted to commit the perfect crime. So Carl just happened to see them driving up the road. I guess. I don't know who Carl is. Freaking I don't know Carl. where Carl came from, but that's what Carl says. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think uh, the... Doesn't he like taters? But really, I mean, based off both of their confessions, it's hard to determine, you know, who was driving I think, and who I was think not. mostly it's, it's been accepted that Leopold was the one, that was the hammer man. Okay, okay. So then during the trial um, at Chicago's courthouse, um, the media became... Sp- uh, spectacle of the third party. Um, what? I guess of... Yeah, it became a sensation. It just became a circus. It was yeah, like an OJ trial all the yeah. time. Okay. Yeah. Um, Loeb's family hired Clarence Darrow, one of the most renowned criminal defense lawyers in the country. Um, Who, of course, was witness, was a good friend of the colonel's at the Scopes <laughs> Monkey Trial. The Scopes Monkey Trial, and... and you know, he made a good argument. He yeah. made a good was argument. Was it 12 hours long? 
It was 12 hours. It was like a filibuster. Okay, we'll let her tell. It was like that cruise at the buffet, 12 hours. Oh, my God. It's kind of like you on these podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he gave it lean. You, you open the door you for him. You get intense again, ain't you, Jimmy? You get intense. You open the Clarence door. Clarence Gara, of course, very famous attorney, hired by uh, Loeb's family, and he gives this eloquent 12-hour um, the uh, summation. I know. Let I'm her, sorry. Let it's, all, it. it's all good. You can help me out. Um, it was generally assumed that the men's defense would be based on a plea of not guilty but reason of insanity. Um, Darrow concluded that the jury trial would almost certainly end in conviction and the death penalty. Um, however, he elected to enter the plea of guilty, hoping to convince um, the court judge, John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. No, <laughs> John Calvary, to impose sentences of life imprisonment. Um, the trial ran for 32 days, um, and the state presented over 100 witnesses documenting details of the crime. The defense presented um, that psychiatric testimony be used as well. Um, it ended in that both the men were sentenced to life in prison. And poor Leopold, I mean, one of the things that he, uh, he uh, was trying to called mitigating circumstance. He was trying to get pity for this. He was trying to get sympathy. As Leopold claimed that he had been had an ongoing affair oh God. at a young age with his governess. So? Now the boy got a show for Who doesn't? And he's banging his governess and he's saying Oh, I'm traumatized. My yeah, I'm traumatized. It's you know what it's like. It's like the guys coming forward today to bang the hot gym teacher. <sighs> female yeah. female gym teacher. Female gym yeah. teacher, yeah. I mean, so, they're not traumatized. So, but traumatized. but Clarence Darrell did get he he did save their lives. Uh, yeah. And his his twelve hour summation where he uh, pointed at, about the inequality of the he uh, put the death penalty death, on trial. Yeah, he put the death really penalty on trial. And as uh, Clarence Darrell is wont to do. Yeah. Mm. He and, got the monkey off. I mean, when you That's get personal. a monkey off, yeah. Then you, I mean, then you got. You got <laughs> I read crap. something that said that um, Loeb and Leopold wanted the death penalty over life in prison. Well, one life of them, in prison is one worse. of them got their wishes. They were cowards. Yeah, I mean, they were cowards. Uh, they say that everybody says that though. I want the death penalty. I don't want to be life in prison. No. But when they start strapping you to the chair, chair you, they wet themselves. Yeah, things fight. get they a little weird. Everything else. <laughs> now, so they get sent to prison. They're still friends in prison. Um, yeah, why friends. do they put them in the same prison? Maybe yeah, they're they in the prisons. Were they cellmates? They were no, no. not cellmates, but they hung just, around. That was a pro- um, that was a problem, though, right? Um, it, it was a little bit of a problem. Now, they, they was pretty good friends in there. Although at one point, Leopold thought about killing Loeb, um, but he didn't. And he asked him to step in his cell and look at his tennis racket. And he's yeah, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, did they make a plan? No, this was a, seven months. No, he knew he wouldn't fall for that. It was a squash racket. He wants to show him the squash racket. He had some but, candy uh, from commissary. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so she he, uh, So he, but Loeb, now Loeb, and clearly these two was a little. You look at them; they're feminine. Um, where, where are you going? I don't know. There was pretty boys. There was very pretty boys. Yeah, but we don't. But know. Lo, he was a little grabby. He get in the shower. He get a little grabby with people. And one day he oh, got that, grabby. You get your ass kicked for that. Well, he got grabby with James Day. James Day took a razor to his ass, sliced him all up. But, but James Day might. It, it, that's James Day's story, right? 
Well, he was the only one living, so the, the Victor <laughs> writes history. Dead men tell no tales. The Victor writes history, do we not? Yeah, but there wasn't there some uh, also some uh, wasn't he blackmailing? He he well he he was blackmailing him, and then Loeb said he ain't blackmailing me no more. But they, really, everybody hated these guys. They 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 kind of actually after a while started to blame. But when they came in. Uh, they had to protect them. They had to segregate them. They had to do everything else because everybody wanted to be because they were pretty boy asshats. Right. Yeah. Right. So uh, James Day, um, James Earl Day. There you go. Um, he was. Uh, I don't know if that was his middle name, but it sounded good. James yeah. Earl Day. But, but, but go ahead. Uh, anyway, he uh, Loeb was in the shower and he got all grabby with him and uh, he took a razor to him. So uh, that's. James Day's story, he'd only want around to tell the story, so I'm going with it. Okay, that's that's good. But there was also a side of that. There was also a story that he was blackmailing them. They were getting money from their parents originally, mm-hmm. and then that money started to fall off after so many years. And they, right. uh, Day was blackmailing Lowe or Lepo. Well, you know, after, and and I learned this watching, uh, I learned this from Lowe, some of my friends down in Angola um, in a prison down there. Um, you know, after three years, you get a life sentence after three years, even your mama don't come to visit you no more. Yeah, you know, like 85% of the people are sentenced to Angola and never, never leave. They get buried there. Yeah. Um, but Angola, where's that? Mississippi, Alabama? I believe it's Mississippi. Yeah, it's not. It's, um, it's, one, it's Mississippi, Alabama, one of the two. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, so, you know, so he did. Now, Leopold, he run to his side, tried to comfort him, whatever, um, you know, but he he couldn't do nothing. So, now, Leopold, on the other hand, he kept his interest up. He was still watching birds in the, in a, in a thing, you know, bird watching. He wasn't winning no, no contests or nothing because um, it was mostly pigeons because um, he was by this. The Birdman of Alcatraz, before he got to Alcatraz, was the Birdman of Statesman. Statesville. But anyway, Leopold got paroled. And much like most deviant criminals do, he went to Puerto Rico and married himself a Puerto Rican. Say that. Hmm? What do you say that? We well, have okay. listeners in Puerto Rico. Where do you want to? I, I, no, I'm not. The Puerto Ricans are fine. It's the deviants like you to fly down there <laughs> that uh, that take advantage of the Puerto Rican woman. And he married Trudy Garcia de Cuevado. Uh, How was she? She was 36 years old. He was mm-hmm. 66. Oh, I bet she was hot. See, yeah, she was too old for you at 66, but not too old for him. So he's married to this uh, lovely Puerto Rican woman. Um, Rita Moreno. Did he marry Rita Moreno? No, he did not. He married Trudy Garcia. You don't, yeah, you can't say that. Yeah. Way Beto. Gringo. Wow. Um, anyway, now, you know, and, and this brings up the, uh, the uh, thing that. Um, they have is uh, now they have what they call affluenza and these rich kids commit these crimes and they say yeah. Yeah. well they've been so protected from society and, uh, and and I like to watch the TV show The Detective and uh, 
one of the great quotes I had on there last week was a uh, good beating always promotes personal growth. And I believe these rich kids somewhere along the line missed a bit good beating. Uh, Maybe. And and I also don't, I don't like this whole crime in the century thing. Because I, I think the... There's crime, too many of them. Pick one. Pick one. Clearly it's the Fatty Arbuckle scandal. Lumberg, baby. They never did catch him. I think the no. Kennedy assassination beat Trump's both of those. Well, they what, caught that guy. Really? You weren't even around last night. They caught that guy. No. <laughs> what about the Lana Turner affair? I mean, this was only one person dead. How can be the crowd? Oh, oh my gosh. And he's right. 14, so. He's 14. He short. Yeah. Okay, so um, what happens to our good friend, uh, Mr. Leopold? He, he gets back to Chicago. Mm-hmm. He's, um, he's uh, so he he is uh, he, he goes girl. back to visit Chicago. Mm-hmm. He goes back through the South Side. South Side changed a little bit. He got knifed. He didn't really, you know, realize what the Crips and the Bloods was. Um, he wandered through the wrong neighborhood. Will you please wrap this up? <laughs> okay, he died of a damn heart attack in 1971. He was atop his lovely bride, Miss Trudy. Uh, What's your bio? He was... Yeah. No. Okay, he wasn't, but that's how he wanted to die. <laughs> okay. Anyway, he died of a heart attack in 1971. Okay. So, um, that's it for Leopold and Loeb. Well, I got a question, though. No. I, I want to I I go... Okay. What would you say was a crime of the century? I already said. I don't, I don't get it. You said Betty Arbuckle? You haven't said anything. Lindbergh, maybe. I wasn't, I don't she know. wasn't alive last century. She wasn't, was she? What, what, what was your born in girl? No, she was born young. in like 19, young Brittany. 96 or something crazy. No, yeah, I'm older than that. She's like flock of seagulls. They weren't even around. <laughs> 92? Yeah, older than that. What uh, year were you born? 91. 91. 91? So. 91, let me see. Uh, OJ was a tra- crime of the century. He was, he was born 91 when I was celebrating right about my fifth anniversary. I was a junior in high school. I was celebrating. I was a newborn baby. Okay. Um, how about you, Colonel? What do you think the tra- tra- crime of the century is? Well, I think the you know the fake ape man back in 1912. Yeah. Look that one up. I, I, that's a crime. Richard Speck, you got the Tate Library. I, I think, I, but really, when it comes to the crime of the century, I think we're going to go with uh, Charles Manson. Why? Charles Manson. I think I, I went to a bar the other day because, well, because, because that's what I do. <laughs> and it was like in, every other day because it was. It was here in Cincinnati, and they told me that they didn't serve tequila because Charles Manson lived up the street, and that's what he would always come in and drink. Do you think somebody was just being stupid, or is that a real Charles thing? Charles Manson was well, here? He, Charles Manson he, did come from... Yeah, he, he lived, lived, in, did Cincinnati. live in Cincinnati. Yeah. Somebody yeah. told me that. Yeah. Just saying. Well, I don't believe in the tequila thing. I think they're pulling your leg. Well, they didn't have any. Well, they was out. No. They didn't want to tell you they were Nope. Out. It said on the wall, no tequila due to Charles Manson. Hmm. That's crazy as damn thing. Brandy and I saw um, Evander Holyfield's ear, didn't we, Brandy? We did. Uh, did you? you know when Mike Tyson the bit did off it? one. Yeah, the one that. Yeah, <laughs> otherwise it wouldn't have been that extraordinary. But it's the uh, ear that Mike Tyson bit off. We saw it, but Ew. there's some question. It's at that Montgomery Inn. Yeah, Montgomery Inn yeah. restaurant here in Cincinnati. Uh, I think the Kennedy assassination is by far the you know, and biggest crime. Before we end up, let me just say that uh, Dottie Scott, I hope you're doing well. You're a lovely woman. Thank you for checking on me on Facebook. You uh, always got looking out for me. 
Yeah, and I want to give a shout-out, too, to uh, Noah L. I'm just going to give his last initial, who made a very nice comment on our Facebook page. And we really appreciate uh, all of your folks, all your comments on the Facebook page. Please check us out on Facebook. Check us out on iTunes. And um, if you would, subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a comment. That's how other people find us. So if you could do that, we would really appreciate it. In, in this, because we eat lunch right now and we got our lunch, if you happen to run across uh, Logan and Tanner on your Coke labels, share a Coke with Logan or Tanner. I need those two. Yeah, send them to okay. the colonel. What send about Taylor? You don't like Taylor as much? I got he has Taylor. one. Taylor. Okay. Taylor's a dime a dozen. They easy to get. <laughs> all yeah. right, all right. Thank you, everyone. Congratulations Thanks, again to all the. Have a happy Fourth of July. Happy Fourth of July. Yes. Yay! Yay! We'll see you again real soon on History Beliefs. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.